fourteen chapter two of round the block by john belbooton this LibriVox recording is in the public domain the last of a mystery after pet had looked at all the objects of interest visible from the bell tower uncle ith pointing them out with the pride of an owner bog called pet aside and said now uncle ith i have something to show her that i used to think most interesting of all pet rested her hand upon his arm and gazed through the southeastern window in the direction indicated by bog's forefinger right there said he midway between those two tall chimneys and a trifle south of the line of that steeple the last two windows in the upper story of that old house do you see them pet looked along his outstretched arm to get the precise direction and then said hurriedly it is my old home the sight of those familiar windows in which the calico curtains still hung recalled the horrid vision of that dreadful night pet turned pale and shuddered let us look elsewhere bog said she i beg your pardon dearest but i wanted to tell you how many hours i had spent in this cupola day and night gazing at those two windows and feeling oh so happy if i could but catch a glimpse of you or your shadow but i never told uncle ith about it uncle ith had not overheard this conversation but he had followed with his eyes the direction pointed out by bog as the young couple stepped back from the window he said i see some strange sights occasionally my children he was fond of calling young people his children i can tell you there are a couple of windows in the upper story of that old brick house between the two big chimneys that used to interest me some we see them said bog and pet about five years back i began to notice lights burnin in that room long after all other lights except the street lamps were put out of course this attracted my attention and i used to feel a kind of queer pleasure in looking into that room with my spy-glass and wonderin what was goin on there the curtains were usually drawn over the lower sashes but this tower bein fifty or sixty feet higher than the house i could look over the top of the curtains and see something an old man tall and slim and a young girl appeared to be the only folks that lived there are you sick young lady said he observing that pet looked pale oh no i am not sick only a little fatigued what a brute i was not to offer you a chair now do sit down young lady pet did so and uncle ith resumed the old gentleman was a machinist i suppose for i used to see his shadow on the wall goin through the motions of filin sawin and hammerin though i could never guess what he was workin on i have known him sometimes to be at this queer business till daylight for three years the strange old gentleman never missed a night at his work i fear you are not quite well young lady take a glass of water pet sipped from the proffered glass and declared that she was much better now one night about two years ago i took a look into this room with my spy-glass i generally didn't do it until three or four o'clock in the mornin when all the other lights in the neighborhood was out but on that particular night about eleven o'clock 
I happened to observe that one of the window curtains which covered the lower sash was left partly undrawn. This had never occurred before, and so I brought my glass to bear on the room at once. A tall gentleman, whose face I had often seen moving in the room over the top of the curtain, was just in the act of taking his departure, which he did without shaking hands. The old man then went to his place at the other window and tackled to his work again. He had been at it about twenty minutes when a bar or rod which stuck up above the curtain and was somehow connected with his work fell forward with a quick motion as if it was jerked away. The old man stooped, picked it up, and fixed it in its place again. His face as well as I could see through my glass in the night time at that distance showed a wonderful amount of surprise and astonishment at the fall of this rod or bar, I suppose. He then seemed to be filing on something, and afterwards stooped down, as if to put it into some part of the machine, or whatever it was. Just at that minute the post office struck, and I put down my glass and turned my head toward the sound to catch the district. It struck seven. I jumped to the lever and started the old bell for seven, too. As I was striking the first round, my eyes happened to rest on the strange window again. The old man was not standing there. The bar or rod had fallen out of its place again, I supposed, and I expected every minute to see the old man appear at the window and fix it again. But he didn't show himself any more that night, and, which is the curious part of my story, I've never seen him since. Whether he dropped dead from heart disease I can't guess, but certain I am that he is dead, for poor Pet here exhibited such signs of faintness that Bog, who had been leaning against the edge of the window, gazing at the well-known window with a strange fascination, sprang to her side and instantly bathed her brow with water from Uncle Ith's old pitcher near at hand. This restored her. Be calm, dearest, said Bog. What, what is the matter with the young lady? asked Uncle Ith, in great trepidation. Shall I run for a doctor? No, Uncle Ith, no doctor. But we won't talk any more about this strange room at present. It affects Miss Wilkeson's nerves. The shock is past, dear Bog, said she, and I can bear to hear everything. But you must promise to control yourself, darling, said Bog tenderly. One question, Uncle Ith, said he. How long a time were your eyes off the room after the first strike of the seventh district? not more than three seconds. And you are sure that there was nobody in the room? Certain, for I must have seen him enter or go out. Then, Uncle Ith, you have cleared up a great mystery. What? What mystery? The death of Mr. Minford, the inventor, my old friend and the protector and guardian of Miss Wilkeson. He lived in that very room. He was at work on a perpetual motion machine. It was operated somehow by weights. It started suddenly, 
when you saw that rod or lever fall to the floor. Mr. Minford put the rod in its place and made some little improvement in the works. The machine started again at a moment when your eyes were turned away. The rod fell with greater violence, struck the inventor on the head, and killed him. That is the whole story, and stupid we have all been not to have guessed it before. Nature furnished her own sweet relief to Pet's pent-up emotions. She burst into tears. Thank heaven, said she, it is all plain now. Pet had not whispered it to Mrs. Krull, or Bog, or her uncle, or to any other living soul, but the mystery of that awful night had hung over her young mind like a pall, which in vain she had tried to lift. What a blockhead I am! cried Uncle Ith, not to take the papers. If I had only taken the papers now, I should have read all about that affair, and might have guessed that the man who was supposed to be murdered was the man I had seen working in that room for three years. Then I should have offered myself as a witness, and might have thrown some light on the business. I'll scribe for a paper to-day, instead of trustin' to hearsay for the news. And a very neglectful fellow was I, said Bog, not to have called here and seen you after that sad affair. But the truth was that Pet went to live with her best of friends, Mrs. Krull, and I had no longer a desire to look at the room from your bell-tower. In fact, Bog added with a smile, the tower has not been quite as interesting for two years past as it used to be. If I had come up here at any time since Mr. Minford's death, I should probably have told you of the supposed murder, and pointed out those windows to you. But, but you forgot all about your old uncle. Ha! I understand. Well, I forgive you, see in what there was to disturb your recollections. Uncle Ith looked affectionately at Pet, who smiled and blushed through her tears. The old man continued, I remember once when we met in the street, about two years ago. I used to come round this way, you must know, Uncle Ith, in order to meet you, two or three times a week. I give you credit for that, Bog. You never disowned your poor old uncle. But as I was saying, I remember one time when we met, that you told me something about the murder of somebody of your acquaintance. But I didn't take no particular interest in it, because I didn't know any of the parties concerned. And, of course, I didn't dream that poor Mr. Minford was the man I had seen working away there for three years. But the main fault is mine, because I don't take the papers. I see now that every man ought to take the papers, if only as a duty to his feller man. Uncle Ith coughed, as one who utters a maxim of great moral depth. It was then agreed, at Bog's suggestion, that Uncle Ith, accompanied by him, should call at Overtop's office at early business hours, when Uncle Ith was off duty, next day and consult upon the best course to be adopted to make his testimony public, and set the mystery of Mr. Minford's death forever at rest. 
This having been done, Bog and Pet withdrew, and had hardly reached the foot of the tower when the musical thunder of the great bell announced the constantly reiterated story of a fire in the seventh, that most combustible of all the city districts. End of Book 14, Chapter 2